Section 17 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Denham. Leon Cavallo's I Pagliacci, or The Mountebanks. It was the Feast of the Assumption, and the light-hearted inhabitants of a pretty village in Calabria had turned out in full force to make the most of the last day of a successful fair that had been held in their midst. The fairground was crowded with holiday-makers, all bent on amusement, and a brisk business was carried on at the various shows and booths from morning till night. A company of strolling players had been one of the chief attractions of the fair, and when, during the afternoon, Canio, the master of the troupe, mounted the steps of his portable theatre, and, beating a noisy drum, invited the holiday-makers to attend the last performance to be given that evening, the announcement was hailed with great delight. The merry youths and maidens all signified their intention of witnessing the play, and then Canio, assured of a good audience, went to spend the intervening time at the village tavern, together with his friend Beppo, the harlequin of the company. The travelling theatre had been set up close beside a high wall that separated the fairground from the country road, and no sooner had Canio departed than his pretty young actress-wife, Neda, came out from the booth and began to stroll towards this wall, as though expecting to see someone appear above it. At the same moment a hunchback named Tonio, who was clown to the troop, quickly approached and addressed her in endearing terms, for though distorted in mind as well as in body, the poor buffoon had yet fallen a victim to the charms of his master's wife and had long awaited this opportunity to declare his love. But the pretty Nedda, who hated and despised the hunchback, only laughed in derision at his protestations, and when the eager Tonio, rendered reckless by his passion, attempted boldly to seize her in his arms, she angrily snatched up a whip that was lying near, and began to belabour him with it. The wretched hunchback was now obliged to beat a hasty retreat, but full of rage at her scornful treatment of him, he determined to revenge himself upon her, and slunk off with evil in his heart. As Nedda heaved a sigh of relief after watching Tonio vanish in the crowd, she heard her own name softly uttered in tender accents, and seeing the form of a handsome young man appearing above the wall, she hurried forward with delight, this second intruder on her solitude being as welcome as the first had been distasteful. For the pretty young actress had already wearied of her husband, whose coarser nature and rough, almost savage love repelled her, and so when Silvio, a rich young farmer in the district who had fallen in love with her at the theatre, found an opportunity to declare his passion, she had quickly returned his love. 
finding relief and pleasure in his gentler manners and softer moods. The lovers met in secret every day, for Nedda, though constantly afraid of her husband's anger, should he discover the intrigue, was yet daring enough to seek happiness at the risk of danger, and now Silvio had come for a last interview, knowing that the troop were to depart on the morrow, since this was the final day of the fair. The rustic youth quickly scaled the wall, and clasping his sweetheart in his arms, he besought her to fly with him that night, and leave a husband who was no better than a tyrant, and a life that was distasteful to her. For a short time Nedda tried to resist Silvio's pleading, begging him not to tempt her, but at length, overcome by his passionate entreaties, she yielded, and promised to meet him that night after the last performance was over at the theatre, that they might escape away together. Whilst the lovers were thus engrossed, Tonio returned, and watched this pretty scene for a few moments unobserved, and then suddenly seeing in this incident a means of revenging himself upon Nedda for her disdainful treatment of himself, he crept softly away, and departed to the village tavern to disclose to Canio the story of his wife's faithlessness. On hearing the hunchback's tale, Canio was overwhelmed with rage and jealousy, and instantly returned with him to the theatre, and he arrived on the scene just in time to see Silvio disappearing over the wall and waving a tender farewell to Nedda, who answered him lovingly from below, repeating her promise to meet him after dark. On hearing the hunchback's tale, Canio was overwhelmed with rage and jealousy, and instantly returned with him to the theatre, and he arrived on the scene just in time to see Silvio disappearing over the wall and waving a tender farewell to Nedda, who answered him lovingly from below, repeating her promise to meet him after dark. Enraged at this proof of his beautiful wife's infidelity, the injured husband ran forward to intercept the departing lover, but Silvio was already on the other side of the wall and beyond his reach. Canio then turned furiously upon the trembling Nedda, and roughly seizing her by the arm, he demanded the name of her lover. But Nedda, though terrified by her husband's angry words and threatening aspect, boldly refused to betray the man she loved, and Canio, maddened by her refusal, impetuously drew his dagger from its sheath, declaring that he would kill her. At this moment Beppo appeared, having followed his friend from the tavern, fearing that something was wrong, and hearing Canio's threat he sprang forward at once, and snatching the weapon from his hand, begged him to calm himself and prepare for the evening's performance at the theatre, since the holiday-makers were already clamouring for admission. After much trouble, Canio was at length persuaded to remember the duties of his profession, and to release Nedda, who quickly escaped to the theatre, and having thus pacified his friend for the time being, 
Beppo began to make preparations for the approaching entertainment. The hunchback, too, seeing now that he must wait a little longer before carrying out his plan of vengeance, begged his master to dress for the play, cunningly suggesting that Nedda's lover would probably attend the theatre that night, and thus give them an opportunity of attacking him. And at last Canio, full of grief and despair, for he loved his wife passionately in his rough, savage way, was persuaded to take part in the comedy, although a tragedy was in his heart. A lively audience of village lads and maidens now quickly filled the benches that had been placed before the open stage, and those who could not get seats stood on the rising ground at the back, all chattering together and eager for the play to begin. Amongst those who managed to get a place near the front was the handsome Silvio, who, as Tonio had predicted, had not been able to resist the temptation of watching his sweetheart from afar, and when Nedda, now clad in her stage dress as Columbine, which part she took in the play, presently appeared amongst the audience to collect the entrance money, he whispered in her ear a tender reminder of their meeting later on. As it happened, the play chosen for performance that night, by a strange coincidence, proved to be a burlesque of the very incidents the actors themselves had just experienced, and the unsuspecting audience, though they little guessed it, were to be regaled with a page from real life, a repetition of the events that had occurred unobserved by them outside the theatre that afternoon, a comedy that was to end in a tragedy. When the curtain went up, Columbine, personated by Nedda, was discovered waiting for her lover, Harlequin, played by Beppo, whom she was about to entertain to supper during the absence of her husband, Punchinello. An idiot servant, Taddeo, played by Tonio, entered after the opening speech, carrying food for the supper, and after placing the viands on the table, he began to make a grotesque declaration of love to Columbine, causing much laughter amongst the audience. Columbine, however, scornfully rejected his addresses, and bade him begone, and Harlequin, who entered through the window at that moment, soon drove off the importunate servant, and sent him to keep watch below. Harlequin and Columbine next went through an exaggerated love scene, the faithless wife yielding to her lover's request to fly with him that night, and then, just as they settled down to enjoy the feast together, Taddeo ran into the room again, announcing in dramatic tones to Columbine that her husband had just returned home unexpectedly, and was already vowing vengeance on her for entertaining a stranger during his absence. With a parting injunction, Harlequin very ungallantly disappeared through the window, following the example of Taddeo, who had already decamped in another direction. And just as Columbine called out a tender farewell to her departing lover, Punchinello, personated by Canio, dashed into the room. Until now, the play had been a most amusing burlesque, and the audience had been kept in a state of constant laughter at the many ridiculous situations. 
but with the entrance of Punchinello they quickly saw that more serious work was to follow. Now it happened that Nedda, as Columbine in her farewell speech to Harlequin, had unconsciously made use of the very same words she had addressed to her real lover in the afternoon, and Canio, remembering only too well the speech that had brought such despair to his heart, gave vent to his jealous rage once more, and forgetting the words of the play, he seized his wife by the arm, and again demanded the name of her lover. Nedda, surprised and alarmed by this unrehearsed incident of the play, went on with her columbine speeches, and for a short time Canio returned to his part of Punchinello, and the play proceeded. Columbine explained to her enraged spouse that it was only the foolish servant Taddeo who had been her guest at supper, and Taddeo, being discovered hiding in a cupboard, made a ludicrous speech beseeching Punchinello not to doubt the fidelity of his wife, declaring in exaggerated terms that she would never deceive him. These words caused Canio's suppressed passion to break out once more, and forgetting all but his own wrongs, he once more ordered Nedda to reveal the name of her lover, declaring passionately that he was Punchinello no longer but the husband she had deceived. The audience had at first been delighted at what they considered the fine acting of the injured Punchinello, frequently giving vent to enthusiastic rounds of applause, but now they began to grow restless, feeling uncomfortably that such an intensity of passion could hardly be assumed. It was in vain that Nedda endeavoured to go on with the words of the play, and seeing that her maddened husband was in deadly earnest, she only sought to defend herself. In spite of his threats, she utterly refused to declare the name of her lover, and at last, driven to madness by her refusal, Canio, in a frenzy of jealousy, drew his dagger and plunged it into her heart. The audience no longer deceived, but now seeing that a real tragedy was going on before their eyes, uttered loud shrieks of dismay, and Silvio, full of horror and despair, sprang upon the stage at a bound, and lifting his dead love in his arms, implored her, in grief-stricken accents, to speak to him once again. But Canio leapt upon him instantly, knowing now that the handsome young farmer was his rival and the cause of his woe, and with a second stroke of his dagger he laid the bereaved lover dead beside his stricken mistress. For a few moments the frenzied Canio stood dazed and stupefied, gazing upon his dreadful handiwork, and then, as the spectators sprang forward to seize him, he yielded himself quietly into their hands, muttering as they led him away, The comedy is finished. End of section 17 Reading by Tom Denham